If you have your Bible, I want you to look with me uh, at Revelation 2, beginning in verse 8. Revelation 2, 8. The title of my message today is The Transition to Spiritual Maturity. Let's look at God's Word. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write these things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty. But you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, he who overcomes shall not be hurt in the second death. The church at Smyrna was a very, very special church. It was a wonderful church. The risen Christ gave unqualified praise to this church. And he did that very, very few times in the scripture. Even today in Smyrna, The majority of the population is Christian, and it's because of this church. This church moved from immaturity to maturity, and they really had an unbelievable ministry in their day. Smyrna was a trade city. It was a magnificent harbor all the way around on the sea. It was a beautiful city. It was the largest public theater in Asia Minor. It would have been a very easy thing for this little uh, church in Smyrna to be suffocated by all of the heathen splendor that was all around. It was everywhere, everywhere you looked. There was Caesar worship uh, that was in every place. And, of course, you had to look at that all the time. It would have been easy for this little Christian church to dry up and die. That would have been the easy thing to do. It would have been easy for them to quit having this meeting and that meeting. It would have been easy for them to stop having this mission emphasis and that mission emphasis. It would have been easy to just finally drop the whole thing. And just let the church die. But you see the church in Smyrna was a transitional church. Once it had been filled with folks that were just brand new in Jesus. The missionaries came from other places. Talked to them. Led them to Christ. Helped them to found this church. They didn't know anything. They didn't know any theology. They were just young people that uh, didn't have any training. I mean, they were just as new as they could possibly be. They were certainly not grounded in the faith. They were certainly not mature in the faith. But then a transition started. A few of the members began to pray. And as you might imagine, the Lord began to answer some of their prayers. Amen. 
and they prayed more. And then they got some more of the members of the church to really start being serious about their prayer life. And then they realized that they needed to do more than pray. And they began to reach out. They began to talk to their neighbors, the people along the street where they live, the people that they knew in some businesses. They began to talk to them about Jesus. They began to move in the area of evangelism. And they began to talk to all the folks that they knew about the risen Savior. Uh, They did everything that they could do. Uh, They didn't know the Bible at all. The third leg was that they began to take the scripture and be serious about studying. Be serious about growing in their faith. At first, a few did it, and then some more did it, and then some more did it. And after a while, this was a church that was a strong praying church, was a strong evangelistic church, and was a church that knew and understood the Word of God. It was remarkable. Well, you know, we can do that uh, here where we live. We can start talking to our neighbors. We can back it up with a serious prayer for each one specifically that they would come to Christ. We can meet new folks. You know, a great way to meet folks around here is to go to these state parties. You know, there's a a Kansas uh, group that meets, an Oklahoma group that meets, a New Jersey group that meets. You know, you can go to whatever your state meeting is, and as you go there, you can say, you know, well, I'm from such and such a place in New Jersey, and they would tell you where they're from, and then you could say, where did you go to church there? And they would uh, mention or not mention where they uh, went. And you could say, well, you know, I went to such and such a church where I lived. And it was a great church. And I've come here uh, in Sun City. And, and I, I just love the church that I'm going to. And you could invite them here. You know, there's just umpteen different ways to reach out that aren't very threatening. That you can just mention to people along the way. And guess what? About half of those that you invite will come. You know, it just takes a time of invitation. They found that studying the scripture in that early church was mandatory. It wasn't something that was optional. You cannot build a great church on a personality. You have to build a great church on the word of God. That's what it takes. And that's what they did. The Christians in Smyrna began to realize corporately that these religious tangents that they had been on weren't helping anything. You know, somebody came in and started talking about this, and they all said, well, let's try that. And somebody else would come in and have another idea, and they'd say, well, let's try that. And they had done all of that, and that didn't work. That didn't help them. That didn't help them to transition from being new in the faith to being a person of spiritual maturity. And so that's what they did. That was the plan. They learned that standing for Christ where they were is what it all added up to. And that is what they did. Even though Smyrna was a great center for Caesar worship, it became a great center for Jesus worship because of this little church. It was a transitional church. 
At first, it centered itself here and then there. This idea, that idea. But they matured. They settled in. And the transition was finally complete. The faith that they deployed in Smyrna was not a hand-me-down faith. They didn't have anybody to hand it down to. Uh, They had to figure it out on their own. You know, a hand-me-down faith is kind of like hand-me-down clothes. Did you have to wear some hand-me-down clothes when you were growing up? I did. They never really fit right, do they? Not quite right. I had a brother that was a little heavier than I was. And I knew I was going to get all of his clothes. My mother would take those pants and sew them together and the back pockets would be right together. (laughs) I was tall and skinny and so my mother would work on the sleeves. The sleeves didn't work. They would pooch up and it just looked weird. For about three years, I looked like a weird person uh, walking around. Uh, Hand-me-down faith doesn't work either. You know, some of you and some people that you know might say, well, you know, I was real close to my mother and I I have her faith. Some might say, you know, I was real close to my granddad and he was a great Christian. And so, you know, I, I I just have his faith. Or you might say, I have a good friend and they're strong in belief and in uh, demeanor and everything else. And so I'm just going to kind of get with them and share their faith. Uh, Folks, it, uh, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. In Smyrna, they worked out their own faith. And once they did that, they began to grow spiritually, quickly. The church grew, developed. They faced all kinds of evil, all kinds of pressures, and they grew into spiritual giants. Now, whose faith do you have? Do you have your mother's or your grandfather's or friend? Or do you have your own? The scripture leads us to know that we have to have our own faith that we work out with Almighty God. That's the way it works. As the years passed in Smyrna, the church was filled with Hebrews of the, with the uh, heroes of the faith. Uh, they were people that had learned how to pray. They were people that had gotten into evangelism. They were people that had studied and studied and studied the word of God. And they grew. There was not one member of that church that bowed their knees to Caesar. Now, that was the law of the land. You had to bow your knees before Caesar, and they wouldn't do it. Now, if you were caught, you were outlaws, you were liable to persecution at any time, and you might be killed for not bowing your knee to Caesar. The Christians in Smyrna never bowed their knees. They never did it. Nowhere could life have been more dangerous for a Christian than in Smyrna. But that's where they were, and that's where they stood for Christ. We can do that here. We can do that in the club that we're in, in the neighborhood that we're in, in the building that we're in. We can do that here. Maybe you played on ball teams with some people. Dr. Milliken, who preceded me as pastor of this church for 15 years, He got very involved in softball here in Sun City Center. 
And he led numerous people on that ball team to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, whatever methodology you want to use, whatever you're comfortable with, just go ahead and do it. But the key thing is, do what they did in Smyrna. Do it, whatever your best way is. The wonderful thing that the Christians in Smyrna realized was that the risen Christ was with them, was right with them. Centuries ago, when much of the world was unexplored and unknown, the people that drew the maps would draw as much as they knew about, and then they would count on travelers and sailors that would come in, and and the map makers would say to them, well, now, what's out there, and what's over there, And, and what's beyond this mountain, and what's that way? And the sailors and the travelers would tell them, and so they'd make the map, and they'd put in whatever the people told them. Some of the maps, of course, have been saved down through the generations. And we know that on some of the maps, it says, here are sea dragons. <laughs> it had a, you know, kind of a big circle out there beyond uh, the land. And then it had over here, there are sea monsters. <laughs> and then over here, it said there are fiery pits. And that was on all the maps because they didn't know any better, so they just put down whatever the the people told them. The Christian can take the map of life, the map of your life, the map of our life, and we can write on every part of it, here is the risen Christ because he is here and he is everywhere we'll go. You might go to any country in the world. And you know what you'll find there? It might be just a handful, but there'll be some believers there. And you can get with them. And you can help them. And you can pray for them. You know, that's what our missionaries are doing today all around the world. Here is the risen Christ. And he, of course, is with us. In Smyrna, there was great tribulation for anybody that was a Christian. They stood on the brink of persecution and death every minute of their lives. In Smyrna, also, for the Christian, there was great poverty. In the Greek language, there were two words for poverty. One word for poverty was a word that meant you had a job, you made some money, and you were able to buy just enough food so that your family could eat. There was another word for poverty. And that word meant that you didn't have anything. You didn't have any money. And when you look at the scripture that we read this morning, that word for poverty is this second word that meant that you didn't have anything. That was the situation in Smyrna. Poor in financial standing, but standing tall in the eyes of Jesus. I know some men that would do anything in the world if they could please their fathers. That was kind of the goal of their life till they were 40 or 50, was to please their fathers. They wanted to look good so that their father would be proud of them. There are some here today, I'm sure, that the main thing that you want to do in your life is look good for your wife. You want your wife to think that you're successful, that you've done well, And you work very, very hard 
uh, to be a good example and to be a, a stand-up guy for your wife. There are some here, I'm sure, today that all of your adult life you've been trying very, very hard to look good for your children. You want your children to be proud of you. Well, there's all these different viewpoints. Let me ask you this morning, how do you stand in the eyes of Jesus? Are you pleasing him? You know, all these other areas are important, and we want to do well, of course, in our lives. But the main thing, the crucial thing, is that we would stand up and stand well in the eyes of Jesus. That's where it really counts. How is he evaluating your performance in life? Years and years ago, I went to the Omni, a huge, huge building in Atlanta. And some friends, we got together to go down and to see Chris Everett play tennis. Uh, We had never seen her play in person. We'd seen her on TV, but we'd never seen her in person. So we wanted to go down there. And so it came time for her game. We were all excited. We wanted to see And she had an interesting game. She didn't have any fancy, tricky plays. She didn't do any lob shots. For those of you that don't know anything about tennis, you hit it over the people on the other side and it bounces out and you get the point. She didn't do that very much, if at all. Then she didn't have any net play. She didn't run up to the net and smash it and try and get the point that way. She didn't do that. Chris Everett would stay at the very back of the court And she would hit low, hard, level four strokes or back strokes. Hit them hard. And if they got that back, then she'd hit it to the other corner. If they got that back, she'd hit it to the other corner. She had tremendous consistency. And brother, she was good. She could hit that ball hard. And it would go in about a square foot of the corner of the court. And hit right. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. As I watched her play, I thought, uh, you know, that's just remarkable. She's, she knows what she can do, and she's doing it, and she's doing it well. You know, that's what we all need to do in our Christian lives. We need to do what it is that God has gifted us to do, and we need to do it well, and we need to do it with great consistency. That's what the Bible encourages us to do, is to be consistent in whatever it is that we're trying to do for the Lord. In verse 10, we see the honesty of our Lord. He never says that Christianity is going to be a a bed of roses. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say everything is going to be Jim Dandy from here on out. Jesus says sometimes you are going to have to suffer. He says that in our text today. There might be imprisonment, there might be a trial, there might even be death for you if you stand for Christ. Thank God it's not like that in the U.S. today. Now it's coming. You know, every year they tear down more statues, more buildings that have the cross on them. Did you know that? They're tearing those down just as fast as they can. Uh, they're putting all kind of impediments in our way to spread the gospel. Two years back, the mayor of Houston uh, got real irritated what some people were saying in their sermons. And so, I think it was a lady, she 
sent out a notice that every pastor in Houston had to send in their sermons the week before they preached them. She wanted to check them out. Do any of you remember that? A lot of you do. Uh, That happened in Houston. Well, of course, that didn't stand in the court, but, uh, you know, there's always those that are trying to push us down, to push us out. There are always those in a secularistic society that are trying to get rid of us. They don't want us to do well. They don't want us to build. They don't want us to grow. If you stand for Jesus, you're oppressed, you're abused. You don't have to be an all-American to stand for Jesus. You can do it uh, whatever you are. I've never even been all-neighborhood. You know, you can do it. Uh, Whatever gift, whatever talent the Lord has given you, you can use it uh, for Him. I've realized for a long time that if you're really going to stand for Jesus, you've got to be consistent. You've got to be consistent. Because as people watch you, and of course lots of folks are watching each one of us that are here today, if you're consistent, people will begin to wonder why you act that way. And they'll ask you about it. Particularly here in town, people here in town will say stuff. Uh, As you know, they don't hold back. They'll just say whatever's on their mind. Sometimes they say it out loud during church. (laughs) Well, uh, we need to be consistent for the Lord Jesus, whatever the consequences. In each instance of life, we have to choose him. Though sometimes the way is difficult, we need To choose him. To stand up for him. Consistency. We don't need to decide every week that if we're going to come to church, we don't need to vote on that at our house. You know, that's something that we're going to do automatically. We're going to do that. And you know, if we can move that over into other areas of our Christian life, we become powerful instruments in the hands of the Lord. Those in Smyrna that chose Jesus again and again would receive the crown of life. It wasn't a royal political crown crown. The scripture here is talking about the kind of crown that those who won the races got. Now back then they didn't have a hundred yard dash or a hundred meter dash. They had these real long races that would take hours and hours and hours to run. Way beyond what we today call marathons. They would run tremendous distances. And the winner would get a crown. The Christian today hopefully could be an athlete for the Lord, to run the race. It may be long, it may be hard, but we can give all that we have as we try to win the crown that the Lord has for each one of us. The man who is forever pressing toward Jesus is the man, the woman, the boy, the girl that receives the crown. I saw a mentally slow girl Years ago in Atlanta, I went to a Baptist associational meeting, and there were about 15 churches there, and each church had to have something that they did. And so some of the churches worked up a song, and some of them worked up a real short play, and some of them did this, some of them did that. One small church, they had a girl that was about 14 years old. She was obviously uh, mentally retarded. And they said, she is going to quote the 139th Psalm. 
And when I saw her, I thought, this is not going to work. This is not going to go. And I thought, this is going to be embarrassing. This is going to be sad. This is not going to be good. This little girl walked up, and she started quoting the 139th Psalm. Now, if you're familiar with that psalm, it's not a short psalm. And she began to just rattle off those verses. And every once in a while, she'd stop and kind of catch where she was, and then she'd go ahead, and then she'd go for a while, and then she'd stop and think, and then she'd go ahead. If she got down toward the end of that psalm, everybody in the room was excited. And she began to smile. You could tell she was thinking, I've got it. I'm going to be able to finish this. And tears began coming down from her eyes. And then as she got to the last couple of verses, she started clapping. Well, guess what? There were tears all over that room. I had tears. The people around me had tears. And we started clapping with her. And she finished the 139th Psalm. It was powerful. I mean, it was really something. She took a strong stand for the Lord. Our verse says, the man, the woman who is forever pressing toward Jesus, he is the one, she is the one that wins the crown. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. We do not worship the Lord as he is. We worship the Lord as we imagine him to be. If you are defeated in your Christian life, it means that you have the wrong conception of Jesus. You notice in the Old Testament that Jesus, when he would lead out in battle in the Old Testament, that when God the Father, when the Holy Spirit would lead out in battle, they always won. They never lost. They won every battle. He wins today for those who consistently choose him. Though those who at each option in life choose Jesus. Verse 11 says, There is a great promise that the man who always chooses Jesus will not be hurt in the second death. The second death was a Jewish rabbinic expression that meant the total extinction of the wicked. The idea here is fidelity to Christ may bring death on earth, but it will bring life in eternity. Infidelity, on the other hand, may save a man's life here on earth, but they will know for an eternity that they made the wrong decision. What is your choice? Are you in a transitional period in your life? Maybe you have trusted in Christ, but you've never uh, let that be made known. Today, as we always do, we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to stand down here at the front. If the Lord leads and you'd like to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then slip out, slip forward, and take a stand for him who died for you. If you're here and you're wanting to transition to be more than just to be a kind of a hidden Christian, maybe you need to come forward today and join the church, be a part of the ministering team, I hope and pray that you will do that. As we sing, if the Lord is speaking to your heart, don't hold back. Just slip out. Come and take a stand for him. Let's stand together.
as we sing.